you found a message that was delivered at Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We are praying the time you invest hearing God's Word encourages you in your walk with Jesus and inspires you to share Him with others. If you want to learn more about us or send us a prayer request, visit our website, livingstreamscc.org. Thank you for listening. Um, to start this message off, I want to tell you of a story that I had a come to the table um, type of story that I had in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Never in a million years thought I'd be in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, but because of a woman that God truly laid right here um, in my life, put in my life, I found myself there on in, on a Thanksgiving um, day, um, a come to the table moment to, to meet my in-laws for the first time, right? And I was coming to this table, man, and I'll tell you, I can relate a lot to what we're going to read about in Second Samuel 9 today. I was scared. Right. I was nervous. I didn't know what they were going to think about me. Right. And how I looked on the outside, you know. But praise God, when I got to this table in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, man, I was met with the Lord's kindness. That Amber's mom and dad, Phil and Yvette Spencer, showed me the kindness of God because that kindness lived and dwelt in them by the Holy Spirit. Right. And I'm so thankful for that. Right. They treated me. I'll never forget. They treated me just like the Lord would have treated me, you know, and uh, just gave me grace, you know, and, and said, we're going to believe what you say is true and uh, what you say is how the Spirit of God has changed your life, right? And uh, I'll never forget, though, what Phil Spencer said. He said, you know, at the cross, it's all level ground. Amen. At the cross, it don't matter what you've done, right? The blood of Jesus covers it all. And it's all level ground at the cross. I'll, think, I'll tell you one thing that, that I think about now that I did go to that table. One thing that really comes to mind now is what if, that question, what if I didn't go? What if I hadn't have went to that table in Sioux Falls on that day? Where would I be at today? Would I not have my wife, right? Would I not have that relationship? And I want you to see that in this story here in Mephibosheth and David. What if Mephibosheth hadn't have gone? Right? Think about that as I preach this. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, your kindness is uh, unlike anything I've ever experienced, Lord, that you would love me and you would bleed and die for me. For someone like me, Lord, I am so grateful. And to know that your love is better than life. Lord, help us to see that today in this story. Lord, help us to see our very lives In this story of David and Mephibosheth, this is us, Lord. We should see ourselves in this story. Um, I know that you're, you're inviting people to come to this table today, Lord, to meet the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that you would do a work, Lord. I trust and believe that your word will not go out and return empty. It will do what it's intended to do here today, Lord, and it will change lives. I've seen it. Oh, how I've seen your word change my life. God, I want that for others, Lord. I want by the Holy Spirit and your word to convict heart, convict hearts and change hearts and minds in here today across the Internet or whether it be people in here. Lord, it may be a good reminder of those who have believed and who have come to the table, a great reminder of the great salvation that we have because of the shed blood of Jesus on Calvary. And if for the people who haven't come, I pray this is the day of salvation for them, that they would not harden their hearts. But they would come, they would bow the knee and say, I want to meet this king. And I pray it in Jesus' name. I tell you, this story is a story of David, right? 
This shepherd boy turned giant killer, this poet, a warrior, a friend. Man, he was a friend of Jonathan. A king, right? And also, last but not least, he was a man after God's own very heart. And then you have Mephibosheth. Um, And I could wonder truly how many people has ever even heard of this account in this Bible about Mephibosheth and David. And I want to be clear about the things that I read in this Bible today. They are facts. Real events in human history. It's his story, right? Amen. There's more undeniable evidence of this book being true than you could ever know. There's more undeniable evidence of the resurrection being true than you could ever believe. I promise you. And I also want to be clear that these are God's very words written in these pages. They are infallible. The infallible word of God. It also, man, it breathes life. These words breathe life to dead men and women. And I love to see it. It makes them born again. Gives them new life. A living hope. I'll tell you this word in Hebrews 4.12 says it is alive. And it is active. And it is going to do some work in here today. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. And it penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And I question, I'll, I'll leave you with this today. That's why a lot of people don't want to read it. Because this light will expose darkness. It surely will. So I'm sure this morning when you got up, you were sitting there drinking your coffee this morning. You said, I hope that old boy John Paul is going to preach about Mephibosheth today and David, right? I doubt it. But I'll tell you, I am. I'll tell you, I'm going to preach this sermon because, man, this sermon is very dear to me. And the song that we will sing afterward, man, it wrecks me. It truly does. Every time I think about this, I see my life in it and how my King Jesus could allow a dead dog such as I to come to his table. I don't understand it, but he did, and I believe it with all my heart. I'm fully convinced. So anyway, getting back, um, let's ask yourself this morning why the Holy Spirit had put this in this Bible, right? What is God trying to speak to me today? What is God trying to speak to you today? Why is this story so important in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel 9, okay? Um, one of the main characters in the story I'll tell you David has talked a whole lot about in this Bible more than any other person apart from Jesus I could say so giving you some context now in this before we get to 2 Samuel 9 I want to give you some context um, of what's happening in first uh, in 2 Samuel right King David at, in first and 2 Samuel um, yeah 2 Samuel 1 and 2 King David is comfortably ruling on the throne of Israel now in 2 and 5 a violent struggle breaks out okay between the house of Saul and the house of David there is few remaining children of Saul that laid claim to the throne of Israel David now is anointed over Judah and Israel and in 2 Samuel 3 1 it says the war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. Why was that? Because the anointing, right, had left King Saul because of his disobedience and had fell on King David because of his obedience. In chapter 6, we see David is beginning to set the kingdom where things ought to be set, okay, and starts to bring back the ark of God, the ark of the covenant, back into the, the land of Israel. This little, uh, this ark of God was a four foot wide around there, two foot deep chest that kept the law of God, the Ten Commandments, um, Aaron's rod, and a little bit of manna. This ark was at that time the manifest or visible presence 
of God on the earth, okay? The ark of God was very important to Israel, and it's got some neat stories behind it. Moses asked once that God, um, when the ark was outside the camp because of Israel's sins, that God would meet them inside the camp and said that Moses' heart's desire, okay, was that God would be close to them. I hope that's our heart's desire, right? That God would dwell with us. And praise God, He does in the Holy Spirit. We are that temple now that He dwells in. I'll tell you, they lost the ark once in 1 Samuel 5, okay? This is a crazy story, man. The Philistines captured it due due to through some bad choices of the priest of Israel. And then it was set up that day in the temple of Dagon, this false god, this idol of the Philistines, okay? And the next morning, man, they went in there, and this idol of Dagon was falling face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. His hands and head had been broken and laid there broken, prostrate, falling down to the one true God. A really awesome story in this Bible, an event in history. So anyway, through a long series of events, King David was able to restore this manifest presence of God back to Israel and bring the Ark of the Covenant back into the land. Now, in chapter 9, okay, we see in Second Samuel chapter 9, the house of Saul is defeated. The Philistines are subdued, and for the first time, David is able to sit back and relax and ask a question and consider what should happen next. And in 2 Samuel 1, we see this, okay? David asks, is there anyone still left? Okay? Is there anyone still left? And in this day and time, this was not an unusual question. When a new regime or a new dynasty would come in to take rule, right? They would want to know, is there still somebody left out there so we can do this, take care of any persons left in the other dynasty so there would be no threat, there would be no challenge to the throne, to the new king's rule, okay? But look at what David says instead. David says, is there still anyone left? Why? In verse 1, he is asking, is there anyone left in Jonathan's bloodline so he could show them kindness Why? For Jonathan's sake. And this word kindness here in Hebrew is hased, okay? And in the Greek, the closest thing we can compare it to, okay, is the word agape, God's peculiar love. His unconditional love, this this love, um, his... His unconditional love, his loving kindness, it's unmerited. It's unwarranted, okay? God's showing said toward mankind. And David here says he wants to show this very kindness, God's kindness, to Mephibosheth. This said is, listen, not merely love, but it's a loyal love, man. It's not merely kindness, but it's a dependable kindness. And it's not merely affection. It's an affection that has committed itself. Then Ziba here answers the question when David asks, is there still anyone left? And says this in verse 2, that there is still someone left to show this has said to. And here is the mention of this man named Mephibosheth. This man, verse 3 says, um, in, in, in 2 Samuel 4, 4, and it says he was lame in both feet in 2 Samuel 4, 4. We read why. It says, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. This news of Saul had died, and now Jonathan had died. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name 
was Mephibosheth. Listen, I thank God we live in a day today where we have accommodations for handicap, right? Wheelchairs, special ramps, elevators, um, special places, places for people with inability, but not so in this day of Mephibosheth, right? He would have been at the mercy um, of others to help him through life, to take care of his needs. Mephibosheth's family was gone. Um, he was on the run, crippled at the age of five. Life turned upside down, okay? Life turned upside down um, in a hurry to leave this assumed wrath of David, okay? Um, I wonder today, I'll ask you a question, because I have experienced these type of Mephibosheth moments. Have you experienced these type of Mephibosheth moments in your life, okay? Possibly um, where everything we expected in life and everything we assumed in life that was going to happen to us was ripped right out from under us. Listen, Mephibosheth was in line to take the throne of Israel, raised in the palace of Israel, um, but instead, life dealt him just a little different hand, right? And a lot of times, life deals us just a little different hand. Does your life have a Mephibosheth moment in it when all your hopes and dreams, listen, with one phone call, is taken out from under you? Maybe you got news that your spouse is not who you thought they were. Maybe perhaps it's the rebellion you feared in the lives of your children becoming real right before your very eyes. Maybe you get a phone call one day that says, we can't talk about this by phone. We need you to come in. And they take I can speak from this from experience. And they take you into this little room. When you get to the hospital, right, and it's just you and the doctor and no one else, and they tell you that you or a loved one has cancer, and you might not have many years to live, right? Maybe they tell you that your wife has cancer, right, ovarian cancer, and now this dream of you having kids, it's not going to be so because they had to take everything out of your wife, right? This hope and dream of you being able to have kids with your wife is gone, with one phone call. Maybe you go into work one day and find out you don't have a job anymore. Maybe you wake up one morning at the age of 13 to hear that your grandpa has died. And for the first time, you experience the sting of death. And it's horrible because God set eternity in our hearts. And it wasn't meant to be, but man, when somebody dies, the pain, especially if you don't know they was born again and saved, the pain that comes through death, right? Maybe you wake up one morning after to find your parents um, married for 15 years, you wake up to hear they're getting a divorce, right? It's not going to be no more what you thought it was all the years of your life. Listen, listen. These are Mephibosheth moments, man. When, you, when the rug is ripped right out from under you and your heart is ripped right out of your chest. And I'll, I'll say this today. If you haven't had one of these Mephibosheth moments in your life, you're very fortunate. I, 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 I guarantee this, though. You will. And many of us in this room here today have and can relate to this story of Mephibosheth. Now, there's something interesting about this boy's name, Mephibosheth, okay? It means the son of shame. It's very interesting. Something interesting about where he was, was, loca- was located, was at Lodabar, which means the house of no bread, okay? Um... And where David is from is Bethlehem, the house of bread, okay? So listen to this and pay attention. 
So the King David is the man from the house of bread looking for the son of shame from the house of no bread. Funny how that works. Only God can write write things like this. Only God can make testimonies like this. And um, and we're um, in verse six. We'll see. Imagine at this moment, okay? In verse six, this invitation comes to Mephibosheth. David's looking for him, right out in Lodabar, this son of shame, at the house of no bread, and the knock comes at the door. Right. The knock at the door. And whatever Mephibosheth might be doing in that moment, maybe he's sitting there dressing his wounds, okay, crippled. He hears the knock at the door, and here's this. Mephibosheth, the king has summoned thee. And he sits there, can't run away, crippled, and wonder what David was going to do with him. Possibly kill him, pour out his wrath on him. After all, listen, pay attention to this. Mephibosheth had the bloodline of Saul, King Saul, in him. The very king who tried to kill David multiple times, praise the Lord, without success. And all Mephibosheth could do in this moment when he heard the knock was throw himself on the mercy of the king. Verse 6 says, after David calls to Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth says, at your service... And what David says next holds the fate of this young man in his very hands. David stands over him as judge, jury, and executioner. But David, this man after God's own heart, says this instead. Mephibosheth, do not fear. Instead, I will show you God's kindness. This has said. This is a very odd statement and pay attention to this this morning. The wrath of David that might naturally burn against the grandson of Saul was quenched in that moment. Why? Because of the friendship that David had with Jonathan. A great friendship. The greatest problem with Mephibosheth wasn't that he was crippled, right? It was that he had the blood of Saul flowing through his veins. And his only hope was that there was this other blood as well, this blood of Jonathan. And this blood in the eyes of David was more powerful than the blood of Saul. Now listen, church, I hope this morning this story is starting to sound a little bit familiar to you i hope you can start to see in this story today you see the wrath of god if you're an unbeliever should be burning against you today even if you're a believer right the wrath of god should be burning against you today today why because of your father adam The one who trusted in the word of the serpent rather than the word of God. And after that came the rebellion. Came the fall of humanity. The fall of mankind is exactly why we see the things that are going on in the world today. People are lovers of themselves rather than lovers of God. And it is evident every day. It's displayed every day on the TVs. Open your phone if you want to and look at it. Horrible news every day. And the news loves to to show it to everyone. And I want to tell you today. I want to tell you about no bad news. I want to tell you about the greatest news that these ears and this heart and this mind has ever, ever heard, okay? The good news of Jesus Christ. The only, listen, The only way, the only truth, the only life, the only cure for this sin-sick, twisted world is the Lord Jesus Christ. I promise you. 
Romans 5.12 says this about Adam. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, right, and death through sin, because he trusted in the word of the old serpent rather than God, and in this way death came to all people, because all sin. There ain't not one of us who done good. Not one. Ain't not one of us would seek after God without him seeking after us first. I'll tell you the good news, though, in Ephesians 2, 4. But because I love this, of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, he's got plenteous mercy, plenty of it to bestow on us, made us alive, man. We've been made alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, it is by grace you have been saved. If you are saved in here today, not because of anything you had done, so we would not boast, but to see that this salvation has come from God alone. Salvation belongs to no other. Psalm 711, excuse me, I'm fast to, listen, you're not a sinner in here today because you sin. You understand that? No, you were born a sinner. When you were born, a sinful being was produced. <laughs> you ain't got to teach a kid how to be selfish and live for self, right? Things reproduce after their kind. An apple tree will bear apples. An apple tree will not produce bananas. Amen? And as human beings, we are sinners producing sinners. From youngest to oldest, we are all sinners, and we willingly sin every day, whether intentionally or unintentionally, against the holy and just God. And we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Psalm 711 says this about our Father. God is a righteous judge, a God who displays His wrath every day. He is angry with the wicked every day. The wrath of God, listen, is stored up in heaven against all unrighteousness. In and of ourselves, listen, we are helpless to do anything about our sin debt. Helpless but to fall on our knees and beg God. The Bible says we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and we couldn't go to God if we wanted to and make ourselves alive. We had to be made alive, born again in Christ. This is the only way to be made alive, because apart from Christ, we are spiritually dead. How could ever a dead man make themselves alive again? They could never. They're dead. It takes someone else bringing life back into their body. It's impossible. Listen, uh, man, uh, I'm telling you, there was a day where I was a slave to the prince and the power of the air, right? I was a child of darkness, but no more, Ephesians 5 eight. For you were once darkness, for you were once darkness, but now you are a child of light. You are a child of light, then live like a child of light. We were slaves before the Lord to the prince of the power of the air, the enemy, Satan himself. We, are, we're, we were before the Lord in a poor, in a pitiful condition before Christ saved us. Crippled by sin, just like Mephibosheth as he was crippled, we were crippled by sin until we were born again and given a new nature. Praise God for the new nature that comes by the Holy Spirit. I no longer have an obligation to this old stinking flesh, right? I can have victory because of Jesus. And I'll tell you, there's victory. There's victory in Jesus, man. There is power in the mighty name of Jesus. I believe that. I've seen him break chains and bondage that I thought would never be broken. I'm talking years of a heroin addiction, of a methadone addiction, of shooting meth in my arms, living for self for many years. God said in one moment, your mind, stop. 
You're going to live for me, boy. You're given, you've been given a new nature, right? You've been given a new nature. You no longer will live for your flesh. Praise God he did. Is there any hope for any of us? Any chance that we could be reconciled to this one true God? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, there is. But it's all done through the blood of another. A stronger bloodline. Yes, listen in here today. The blood of Adam runs through our veins, right? It does. But Paul tells us that the second Adam has come. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, church. The love that David had for Jonathan pales in comparison to the love that the Father has for the Son. Jesus comes from heaven and stands between us and God's holy wrath and praise God He does. He'd be just, right? What we truly deserve is hell and His wrath. It's all grace and mercy that He's given us a way out in the blood of His own Son. God places our sin on our Lord Jesus and the debt is paid. It is finished And we have been justified because of our faith in the blood of Jesus for the remission of sins and eternal life. He cannot judge my sins again. My sins are forever covered by the blood. And my God is not a God of double jeopardy. He says he he casts my sins as far as the east is to the west. And he holds not my sin against me no more. My sin always weighed me down, right? I'm telling you, for so long, man, that's why I kept doing drugs and kept doing drugs, was because of the shame of my sin, right? And I just wanted a way out, right? And I kept trying to to drown it out with all the bottles and pills and drugs, and there ain't but one thing that can set me free. And it was the blood of Jesus and the Spirit that comes with this belief. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ... All will be made alive. One blood greater than the other. I have the blood of Adam, therefore I sin. But being born again, I have the shed blood of Jesus Christ covering me. Listen, therefore, I'm forgiven. Man, I'm forgiven. I'm not who that old man used to be. I've been born again, right? I've been given a new nature. The old things have gone away. Behold, new things have come. Though the blood of Adam betrays us, And though this blood of Adam stirs God's righteous anger, there's new blood that speaks better. Speaks better than the old. This new blood speaks better than the old. Listen to this song. You ever heard the song, Deeper Than the Stain? This is good, man. Dark the stain that soiled man's nature, long the distance that he fell, far removed from hope in heaven into deep despair and hell. But there was a fountain opened. And the blood of God's own Son purifies the soul and reaches deeper than the stain is gone. Praise the Lord for full salvation. God still reigns upon His throne. And I know the blood still reaches deeper than the stain has gone. Conscious of the deep pollution, sinners wander in the night. Though they hear the shepherd calling, they still fear to face the light. This is the blessed consolation that can melt the heart of stone. That sweet balm of Gilead reaches deeper than the stain has gone. All unworthy we who've wandered and our eyes are wet with tears as we think of the love that sought us through the weary wasted years. (laughs) 
Yet we walk the holy highway, walking by God's grace alone, knowing Calvary's fountain reaches deeper than the stain is gone. With the holy choirs, we're standing in the presence of the king, and our souls are lost in wonder while all the white-robed choir sings. Then we praise the name of Jesus with the millions around the throne. Praise him for the power that reaches deeper than the stain has ever gone. Are we forgiven? Yes. Man, but so much more. So much more. So I beg you today, if you have not, repent and believe and become a child of God. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. I want to leave you with six things that I see in 2 Samuel 9 in here today. Okay? Number one, being security. And you see it here in verse 7, okay? When David says to Mephibosheth, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Come. Come to the table. Come to me, right? The invitation is there. Come to the table and eat with me as one of the king's sons. And Jesus today gives that same invitation. King Jesus says, come. Come and follow me. Do not fear. Just come and follow me. For I am the bread of life. And I am the living water. And follow me and you will never... Never hunger and thirst again. I believe that. I believe that with all my heart that the only thing that will ever, 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 ever satisfy man or woman in here today is Jesus. You have this hole in your heart, in your life, that only God can fill. It's a God-shaped hole. And I promise you, you can search and seek everything this world has to offer to satisfy this, right? But only Jesus can satisfy. I've learned it. Through a hard way. Why do we fear? Why do we fear coming to King Jesus? Just as Mephibosheth feared coming to David's invitation. I think mainly, mainly, we're afraid of what we might have to let go. I really believe that. We're so attached. I don't care if you're a believer in here or not believer. We're so attached We're so drawn to the things of this world and what we experience on the things of this world, what we can see, touch, feel, right? We hardly ever will set our mind and our hearts on the things above and live for eternity. The things not yet seen, it's called faith. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. We fear what Jesus might do do through us, right? We might have to lay it all down. I say this today. A lot of us probably wouldn't want to know the will of God in our lives because it's going to cause you to do a lot of things. It's, it's going to always be about others and laying your life down and being poured out for others. It's not going to be about you and what you think this American dream is. God is calling believers to lay it all down and to live for another kingdom. This ain't it. This is not it. And if you don't know that, you will soon find out when you hit the dirt one day. That this wasn't it. You were supposed, you were created, and you were supposed to be living for a kingdom not yet seen. That this Bible talks about. Can I tell you this morning, if it's keeping you from Jesus, it ain't worth having, man. It ain't. If it's keeping you from a sincere, loving relationship with Jesus, one that is passionate and radical and on fire for the Lord, it ain't worth having it. Get rid of it. Throw it out. Cut it off. Because this sin will drag you down. 
and you will be a lukewarm, apathetic, ineffective, and unproductive Christian. Do you realize you will stand before God one day, believer or not, and give an account for what you did with Christ or give an account for your rejection of Christ? This will be a real event in history one day when you, when you die. I'm sorry if you don't like that. It's the truth. It's the gospel. Jesus is far better than anything you will ever experience in this life. Run after him with everything you have. Stop running after everything this world has to offer. Run after Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. He is far, far better. Jesus asked the question to a man once, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to come to the table? A lot of times I really feel like that. People don't want to be made whole. They want to stay in their mess because they're comfortable in their sin. Right? And to come to this book and to know and to allow this light to expose the unfruitful deeds of darkness in my life, man, it hurts, man, sometimes. It means there's going to be some work getting done here, right? And I'll tell you right now, there's nothing better, though, to see this light of this word right here change a man from a dominion of darkness into a child of light. It's an amazing thing. So do you want to be made whole? Or do you want to keep playing God in your life? You cannot, my friend, listening here today, have two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. So number one was security. Number two is this, kindness. We see kindness here. It says that I will, David said, I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Can I tell you the only reason... You will be showed kindness is because of God, because of who your father is, if you believe in God, the one and only true God. Listen, don't be a fool in here today, because the Bible says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool says that in his heart. Listen, the grace of God that brings salvation, it's appeared to all men. Every man under the sun. Ain't nothing new under the sun. All creation cries out that there is a creator God and that he has created you just for that, that you will live forever for him here and forever for him one day in eternity, right? That's the gospel. He wants your life. Salvation is given to all men. It's there, right? It's there. The, the opportunity is there to come to the table, but unfortunately many will reject it. Man, the kindness of God is like none other. And I'll tell you, don't play around with it. It's not a joke. Right? It's not a joke, man, to, to, to keep um, stiffening your neck to these words. I'm telling you, humble yourself and bow your knee to this authority of this word. In Titus 3, 4, 6, it says this, But when the kindness and love of our God and Savior appeared, He saved us. Why? Not because of anything we ever done. Not because of righteous things we've done, that's for sure. But because of His mercy, His kindness, right? He saved us. I love this, man. People want to know how I've been changed, how I've been given sight, how I've been given a real purpose and passion in life. He saved us and He poured us, poured out generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, this Holy Spirit. The washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. That's it. Receive the Holy Spirit and be made new. That's the charge. So number three is restoration. Verse seven says, there David says, I will give back to you 
um, all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. There's restoration right there. God brings restoration. He is the great redeemer. In Joel, it says this, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. The great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locusts swarm. My great army that I sent among you, you will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God, who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will you be ashamed. Oh, people, listen. How I've seen God do wonders in redeeming the things that I have destroyed in my life. How I've seen God, I've brought nothing but sin and shame to His table, and how much He's redeemed it. And said, I'm going to heal you, boy. I'm about to show you things that you never thought were impossible. So number four is humility. Look at the humility right here in uh, 2 Samuel 4, 8 that Mephibosheth had. I see a great humility in this, in this man, Mephibosheth, in verse 8. He says in verse 8, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? I can really, I can really uh, relate to that, man. And don't be like that, though, right? Like, no, be humble and know who you are apart from Christ. You're nothing, mere dust, right? It's a you are clay. You realize clay is useless until it's in the potter's hands. You're, it, it truly is. Um, knowing here today, though, because I always thought like that, man. I thought all my sin. There ain't no way I could ever come to that table. You know what I mean? All the things that I ever done, no. God says, come. As a matter of fact, come boldly to the throne of grace and receive to the throne room, right, of, of God. Come boldly and receive grace and mercy in the time of need. And we're in need of His grace and mercy every day. But listen, in your heart, apart from Christ, you are nothing, a mere wretched sinner at best. But with Christ, you're a child of God. A child of the one true living God, redeemed and blood bought and paid for. And don't forget you are a bud of dust. And being humble in your Christian walk will take you a long way. Don't think you're something that you are not. Listen, be real with yourself. Be real with yourself today. I mean, I truly will. I truly will. Um, in and of my old, in myself... Um, I'm a disgusting sinner in desperate need of God's help every day to crucify this old stinking flesh of mine, and I'm in desperate to see God do this exact work in my life every day. I'm desperate to see God do this work in my life every day to where I will deny myself and carry my cross because He is doing it through me and in me. Listen, at the end of my life, I want people, my kids, um, the people that's in my little circle of influence to be able to say, man, that dude right there did not love his life unto death, but loved Jesus with everything he had. He was living for a whole other home than just this little home on earth. A whole other kingdom not seen. Number five, belonging, okay? David gave, excuse me, Mephibosheth a new identity with one invitation to the king's table. And I believe Jesus gives us the same new identity when he invites us to live for him for eternity. Listen, everything changes after that. Everything changes, man. All things become new. 
right? The desires of my heart, my mind is transformed by the renewing of the washing of the word, right? I've been given a new spirit and I've been given a new heart. Jesus took out that old heart of stone and given me a heart of of flesh that I might live for him. He's given me a new identity. I'm not who I used to be. And praise God, I'm not. And anybody that truly used to know me can't deny that something's changed me. Whether they want to believe it was Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit or not, they can't deny something happened to that boy right there. And I'll tell you what it was. It was the cross, right? It was the Holy Spirit bringing that new birth, man. Praise God, I have a new identity. And He invites you to live for Him. Three questions I believe we all ask in this question of belonging, right? We ask ourselves and feel like we all want to belong to something, right? We all find belonging. We all find identity in something. The unfortunate thing is, is we all find belonging and identity in all the wrong things. In all what the world wants us to believe and how they want us to live, we truly sometimes find it in that. And we follow the crowd in doing wrong. We do not come out from them and be ye separate. We fit right in along with them. Listen, you were once darkness if you believe in this gospel. And now you are children of light. Live like it. But three questions. Who am I? Where am I? And where am I going? Three great questions. Who am I? Am I a child of God? A child of light? Or am I a child of darkness? Point blank. There's only two types of people in this world. Saved, redeemed, blood-bought children of God, or lost children of darkness. I'm sorry if you don't like that. That's true. That's the Bible. It says that. In John, um, in 1 John, it really says that. Listen to this. I wasn't planning on reading this, but I need to. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, belonging We all want to be children of a God, I hope, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, that's cool, we're beloved. We are God's children now, and what will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who hopes in Him purifies Himself as he is pure. Listen, everyone who who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness, if you don't know that. You know that he appeared. This is great news. This is good news. Jesus appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. He is the spotless lamb of God. No one who abides in him... John 15, right, 5, abide in Christ, right, and you will bear much fruit. Apart from him, you cannot do nothing. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Oof. No one who keeps on sin, sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever practices of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Praise the Lord. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, right? It's not that we don't sin. It's that we hate it and we despise it and we carry our cross every day and we crucify it, right? You take it serious, man. No one born of God practices, practices sinning. For God sees For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident. There's evidence, right? 
Faith without works is dead. There's evidence that we are children of God. And who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. Them are God's words. So listen. Um, who am I? Either a child of light or a child of darkness. Where? Why am I here? That's a great question. Why am I here? Is it to live for God or is it to live for me? Is it to live for eternity and the things that will last forever, right? The unperishable things, or is it to live for the things that are temporal, temporal, the things that will burn up, the things that won't last forever? That's the real question. What are you living for? Are you truly living for eternity? Are you living for this American dream and self? Are you laying down your life for this gospel and being a great witness with your life? That's a great question to ask. Why am I here? Number three, where am I going? Heaven or hell? It's that simple. There's only two destinations when you die and hit the grave. I'm sorry if you don't like that. This is the Bible. I believe it's totally true. Two options, and you choose this day who you're going to serve. You do. You choose this day who you're going to serve. That's all I can tell you. You will serve and love the God of the universe, or you will serve self and Satan. When you die, you will live in eternity in one place or another. You will belong to one place or another forever. There will be no more years, months, days. No, this will be eternity. A life with God forever in the presence of the Lord or separated for God in utter darkness in the most horrific suffering where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth forever nonstop ending anguish because you rejected Christ. You rejected the good news, this gospel. And there will be no more hope for being saved after that day from this horrible hell. Number six, and I'll end with this, is sonship. So thus far we've seen, this is the last one. Number one was security. Number two was kindness. Number three was restoration. Number four was humility. Number five was belonging. And number six was sonship. Verse 11, Mephibosheth says, um, or Mephibosheth ate at the king's table like one of the king's sons, right? Um, he was a son. That's awesome. To, for me to be able to say that I am a son of God today is an amazing thing. I'll never forget Don Sink said when I went to the food bank one day when I was at the ministry, he said, who are you going to say when somebody asks you who you are? When someone comes up to you and says, who are you? And I was like, well, John Paul? Pool, I guess. And he's like, man, you're a child of God. I am a child of the one true living God. That's amazing, Right? Because I thought that would never be possible. Mephibosheth was a son, okay? He was at one time in Lodabar, out in the world, lost, crippled, all alone, with no meaning to life. Just like us and King Jesus. He invites us from out of the darkness and out of the world to escape being crippled by sin and to have meaning to become a son, a heir to God and a co-heir to Jesus Christ. Now that's a life worth meaning and passion and purpose, right? It's truly living, man, when you're truly living for the Lord. Apart from that, it's meaningless. It truly is. And the Bible speaks on that clearly. Apart from Christ, this life will truly be meaningless. If I don't live for Him and this next kingdom that I see afar off, this means nothing, man. What am I doing here? I don't want to waste my life. I've, wa- I've spent enough time wasting my life. Enough time living in darkness, right? I want to live 
for the one true king. I want you, I want those watching to live for the one true king and bow their knee to him every day and the lordship that King Jesus wants to have over your life. Don't miss it. Jesus has a plan for your life. Don't miss it like so many people have and have died over the years and they will never see God again. They will forever be separated. Don't let that be you today. Come to the table. Come to the table and meet the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and beg Him to save your life. I'll end with this in John 1, 9 through 12. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through Him, the world didn't even recognize Him. He came to that which was His very own, but His own did not receive Him. Yet to all who did receive him, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Receive him. Come to the table today and receive Christ. That is the call. Salvation can belong to you today if you do not believe. And if you do believe, thank him. Be grateful for this great salvation that you have. Be grateful that you are a son or a child or daughter of God. And live like it. Live like a child of light. I'm about to sit right here. This is where grace begins. We were hungry, we were thirsty, with nothing left to give. Oh, the shape that we were in. And just when all hope seemed lost, love opened the door. Sinners who have been redeemed 
sit down and be set free. Come to the table. Come to the table. To the thief and to the doubter. To the hero and the coward. To the prisoner and the soldier. To the young and to the older, all who hunger, all who thirst, all the last and all the first, all the paupers and the princes, all who fail, you've been forgiven, all who dream and all who suffer, all who loved and lost another, all the chained and all the free, all who follow, all who sing on so i just want to make it real clear what that looks like right to come to the table and be set free right at one time in my life i didn't have a clue what that meant right and one day i went to my father or father my brother-in-law's church, uh, house and we just knelt right and we fell on our knees and our faces and i said man i don't know what i got to do or what i got to say to become set free become a child of god and we just prayed, and it just if you're listening on on the at home, or if you're in here today and really don't know what that means, right? To be free from sin and death, that's exact, exactly what Calvary did, right? It freed us from sin, for the wages of sin is death, but I love that. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So the call is just to believe. To believe in the one whom God sent for us to be reconciled to the Father. We were at once enmity with God. We were enemies at God because of our sin, right? And now we want to become friends, right? And that's a great prayer just to say, Lord, I want to be saved, right? I want to be not your enemy because of my sin. I want to be a child of God. So let me just lead into a prayer and what that looks like. Father in heaven, I just ask you today to do that work. Your Holy Spirit, Lord, is unlike anything in this world. And I pray for those who don't know it, they would pray just this today. That Holy Spirit, come and live in me. And do what only you can do, Lord. Save me from my lost condition. Save me from being enemies of God and become true friends of God. Heirs, co-heirs with Christ, Lord, that I can be redeemed and blood-bought. I can know for sure. I can be fully convinced, Lord. I want people to know that. I want to know that every day that I have a spot in heaven, that my, my name is written in the book of life, and I will see Jesus one day and live with him forever. God, I pray you would do what only you could do and open blind eyes and deaf ears 
and make that heart new. Allow those at home and here today that haven't received this, this to receive a new heart and a new spirit like Ezekiel says. God, I pray you would do this work in those who do not believe. And uh, for those of us who do, just help us to be grateful that we are saved. In Jesus' name, amen.